The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Rivian CEO R.J. Scorringe says new orders are driving up the average sales price of its electric vehicles, and he spoke about how his firm is dealing with a pipeline of potential new customers for its battery electric vans and more with host Ed Ludlow. Being relinquished from the Amazon exclusivity is something that a lot of people have been talking about for a while. On the call, you know, you, you did discuss being in talks with a number of fleet operators, big and small and how that might look, starting with pilots, you know, slow and steady. But can you confirm in the first instance that you already have any binding agreements to sell EDV to someone other than Amazon? Yes, uh, as you heard me talk about yesterday in the, in the earnings call, we've, <clears throat> it's not as if uh, we woke up yesterday and we signed uh, the exclusivity that changed the exclusivity agreement with Amazon. It was a long, long process. And, and through that process, we were able to use that time to build a pipeline of other customers and diverse customers. Uh, we're not yet announcing any of those deals, um, but but they'll start uh, by and large with pilot uh, deployments where we have uh, sort of scaled, the scaled number of vehicles that go out and test the systems, understand how they fit within the network. Uh, but what you'll see is it's very diverse across Everything from last mile to retail to, of course, just more general purpose commercial applications of, of vans. You have an announcement, but have not announced them. But there are deals, deals that are done, and you have visibility on new customers on EDV from this point on. What I'd say is we have uh, very high visibility on uh, customers outside of Amazon, and we are excited to talk about those, but we're not yet uh, talking about those other uh, those other relationships and partnerships. So on paper, the normal Illinois plant is capable of building 150,000 units a year, right? And you talked about how for several weeks in 2024, there will be downtime on the lines to make tech upgrades. But I wondered mm -hmm. if you could give us some insight into overall in 2024, what proportion of your output <laughs> will be EDV relative to R1? Yeah, we've we've historically guided <clears throat> to talk about roughly 20% of of production in, in the near term will be EDV. Over time, the way the 150,000 units of capacity is set up is uh, will be set up as 85,000 for the R1 platform and 65,000 for the EDV platform. But in the in the very near future, call it over the next uh, certainly over the next year, uh, the mix will be uh, more biased towards R1. And this comes back to the points I made uh, in in the public earnings call is just the, the nature of the sales cycle for these large commercial fleets, these you know, fleets that are running tens of thousands of vans. It's, it's not as if they can press a button and immediately ingest uh, a new type of vehicle with a completely different operating procedure. So this this does have uh, time skills associated with it. And we've seen that very much firsthand through the lens of Amazon, which runs one of the largest fleets in the world. RJ, Rivian is still losing $31,000 on every EV that it makes. When will you start making money on them? 
Yeah, this is this has been absolutely a, a core focus for us as a business. And quarter over quarter, we've shown shown significant progress. We we certainly showed that uh, as we went from Q two to Q three and, and talked about those results yesterday. Uh, and these improvements that are driving us towards the long term twenty five percent gross margin that we've talked about uh, extensively on R one. Uh, you can almost think of it as a staircase. There's a whole host of changes that are happening in our material costs. That's our bill of materials. Uh, there's improvements in our plant. Uh, there's the fixed cost absorption from running at higher volumes in the plant. Uh, and then, of course, there's uh, the evolution of our average selling price, which continues to trend upwards as we move into newer orders and also launch things like our, our max pack, our largest battery pack. Um, but importantly, I, I do want to really be clear here. This staircase of steps, the, the biggest step amongst those is what we'll be putting in place in the plant um, in the second quarter of 2024, where there's a consolidated set of changes that go into the vehicle that, that dramatically reduce the bill of materials and also allow us to run the plant more efficiently. Um, that's not to say there's not improvements that are happening leading up to that, but we had a similar shutdown that we did on our commercial van early part of this year. And, and coming out of that, we had a 35% reduction in our material costs. So that's the scale of of change that we're going to be driving with the shutdown for R one uh, in the second quarter of twenty twenty four, and these are contractual. These are contractual changes, meaning bill of materials changes are not like us hoping suppliers are going to charge us less. These are hard negotiations uh, with suppliers, contractually obligated. Uh, but there's effectivity dates that have to be achieved. You know, they, they don't all apply immediately. They they come in over time. RJ, our audience has one common question, very straightforward. When will they see an R2 prototype, a prototype? We absolutely can't wait to show it. Uh, the, we're going to be showing the, the R2 program uh, in the first quarter of, of this coming year, so early part of next year. This is, uh, this is a absolutely vital program for us as a business. It, it allows us to take our brand and, and what we built as a company and put it into a smaller package, but importantly, a much lower priced vehicle. Uh, but I, I, I've never been this excited about a product as I am about R2. It's, uh, it is that exciting and, it, and I would say it's that good. Uh, we think it's just exceptional. But quickly, to be clear, you'll whip the canvas off on stage or something in the first quarter of 24 on an R2 prototype. We're gonna be showing it in the early part of next year. Yep, that's right. You talked on the call about now presently there being more rational upstream deals on the table when it comes to supply chain for battery and that got me thinking is rivian still committed to a plan to eventually make its own battery cells in-house yeah the most what's what's really become clear over the last 12 months but in particular last six months with sort of a hyper focus is just the importance of the upstream supply chain and so that's where we've we've dedicated and focused a lot of our, our resources, both in terms of capital, but also in terms of our engineering resources. And that's securing upstream lithium supply, upstream nickel supply, working closely with our battery cell uh, suppliers to technically integrate that in. Uh, and these are these are complex efforts that do take um, you know, take a focused, highly technical team to play an active role in sourcing those raw materials. And this is important, not only from the perspective of IRA, but it's increasingly important in an environment and in a global economy where trade frictions are rising. And we need to be uh, 
aware of the challenges of supply chains that are built uh, around you know, around uh, sort of components or systems for which there's potential limitations around those supply. Graphite's a great example with the vast majority, I should say, nearly 100% of the world's synthetic graphite coming out of China. Um, this is an area we have to be very thoughtful of to make sure that in the long term, we have enough supply to support our growth. But you still plan to make your own cells rather than buying them in eventually? Eventually, we, 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 when we think about cells, we, we look at it through the lens of there's going to be source cells that we develop in partnership. But there's going to be cells where we take a more active role in the development. And in the long, long term, we do think that there's uh, a role to play for manufacturers to be very active in, in the production of the cell as well. But that's, uh, that's, that's down the road. RJ, the other big question from, from our audience around the world is about revenues from software and in particular autonomy. You did go into detail on the call, but the question is very simple. When do those revenues tied to autonomy show up in your financials? Yeah, the, uh, the, when you think about autonomy, this, this represents one of the more complex software and hardware development efforts in the vehicle. And as a result, it, it presents, we believe, a real opportunity to have uh, essentially a tiered, payment, uh, tiered pricing structure whereby the fullest set of features uh, is something that there's an extra payment associated with it. You know, it, it costs more upfront and there's potentially a, uh, an ongoing recurring fee associated with it. Uh, that's something that we're planning to launch as we go into next year, as we launch some new features uh, that we're developing today. But um, in addition to that, we also see opportunities for other really uh, immersive software features that incrementally create value above and beyond what customers even expect or, or believe is possible today um, that we'll be offering as well. So we see that playing out over the next year where we see software revenue first with autonomy, later with, with some other really immersive experience-based offerings. And then, RJ, finally, you said that there's been an overreaction of the impact of high interest rates and geopolitics on the EV industry. Does that overreaction tangibly impact present demand, or is the demand consistent right now? Yeah, when, when, I, when I look at this, and I say there's an overreaction, um, it's more a reflection on just the the absolute certainty uh, that it, that we feel there is around the electrification of transportation, meaning um, there's zero doubt that 100% of our vehicles will be electric in the not too distant future. Now we can debate whether that's 10 years away, 20 years away, 25 years away, but it's but it's it's um, uh, it's an absolute certainty. And so to see so many folks pulling back on investment and therefore you know, creating and the investment we have today is is leading to products we're going to have as an industry in two, three years. So creating what we believe is going to be a void of products in the 2026, 27, 28 timeframe, we think uh, I, I'm, I'm frankly surprised by uh, that that reaction. Um, ultimately, the, the speed at which we electrify as an industry is going to require consumers to be excited about the products. And we need lots of products, we need lots of choices, form factors, price points brand and product positions. And, um, you know, we, we won't electrify uh, 100% if there's one or two brands that have, uh, that are producing a handful of vehicles, we need lots of brands producing a lot of choices. And so certainly, what we when we think about the R2, I couldn't be more excited about the market opportunity, the demand for something in that mid-sized SUV space, 
you know, call it forty to fifty-five thousand dollar price range, is extraordinarily large. There's there's very few good choices in that price range today, um, and we can see it. There's a dominant, you know, Tesla's dominant market share position is a reflection of just the the lack of choice that exists there, and we see you know the the potential pulling a lot of ice internal combustion customers into electric vehicles requires a variety of choices in those price ranges and of course that that's also true for lower price points it's true for different segments but um you know what we'll need to see over the next decade is the proliferation of lots and lots of different offerings and so pulling back investment today uh certainly is going to create a uh, an environment in which there's 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 fewer fewer choices and, and in some ways you can look at it it's almost less competition that's Rivian CEO RJ Scaringe speaking with host Ed Ludlow for more conversations like this one subscribe to the Bloomberg talks podcast I'm Charlie Palatin this is Bloomberg from Silicon Valley to Wall Street the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.